The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. In the next hour, you'll hear from some phenomenal people and healthcare leaders and learn how their challenges became opportunities. Our goal is to show you how you can positively influence your own life experience and purpose and achieve success. And now, here is your host, Danielle Delaney. Hi, this is Danielle, and welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. Today, my spotlight is on my guest, Ross Ramin. Ross is an addiction counselor, speaker, and founder of Rebos Treatment Center in Los Angeles, California. Ross has worked in the treatment field for over eight years and has enjoyed a thriving private practice as a chemical dependency counselor before founding Rebos in 2012. He has spent the last four years as CEO, cultivating a program rooted in spirituality that emphasizes personalized treatment for every client. Welcome, Ross. Great to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're a delight. I'd love to hear more about Rebos. I'd love to hear more about your dream in creating it and what the name means and all things Rebos. Please fill us in a little bit. Yeah, you got it. Um, I'll start kind of from the beginning. Uh, Rebos is actually sober spelled backwards. Um, that came up uh, when I was trying to get sober, uh, sober almost nine years ago. Uh, I just didn't like the word sober. It sounded boring to me. Um, mm-hmm. and it seemed like there was more that was needed besides just not drinking and doing drugs. Um, so I kind of I flipped the name around with a little bit of an kind of an, an attitude, so to say, um, and um, and that's how that came apart uh, came to be. Um, and Rebo started um, actually while I was in treatment, and I had been through multiple treatment programs, um, seven of them, and I. Um, I, I just I'd been through enough of them, and I had been through some that were um, were good, and I'd been through some that um, were not so good. Um, but every one hmm. that I had been through had something that I liked. Um, and so when I was in treatment, um, as most people that are in treatment, they always think they can redo the system, make it better, do this or do that. Um, I did it, and I literally just drew a line down the middle of a page, and um, mm-hmm. I wrote the the pluses and the minuses of my thoughts on what treatment should be. Um, And basically the reason why I did that was is because my counselor who I had, he had said to me, he goes, you've been through treatment seven times. Um, You probably could start doing groups here now. You've been through treatment so much. (laughs) So what are you going to start doing differently? Um, And I told him, I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to find, trying to find myself. And mm-hmm. he stopped me halfway through that sentence. He says, you can't be doing that anymore. And I kind of looked at him puzzled. Um, he says, you can't go through this world trying to find yourself. You need to go through this world creating who you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. Because you will be creating opportunities for yourself. Um, if you're trying to find yourself, you're just kind of sitting there watching stuff go by. Um, you need to get involved. Um, I like that. That you- resonated with you. I like that. Oh, it, it, you know, I found this whole thing of how I've gotten sober and how everything, it's just, it's how you word things, um, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's adjectives and how he made it sound. It made it sound sexy. It made it sound doable. Um, it mm-hmm. made it sound like um, I was in control in a good way and not like in a scary way. Um, mm mm-hmm. 
and that's how I've kind of that's how Rebos has ended up to be the way that it is. Rebos is a place where you come to create who you want to be. Um, it's I believe that everybody is an individual. Um, everybody mm-hmm. has their own unique stories. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody, just like in school, um, everybody has their own learning speed. Um, mm-hmm. And I created Rebos to have uh, more individual sessions in a week than most inpatients do in four months, um, just because um, there is so much. You know, these are chronic relapsers that I that I specialize in, and mm-hmm. they have a hard time learning um, how to get from A to B in sobriety. Um, and when you have a hard time learning how to do stuff in regular school, you have tutors, one-on-one help. Um, so that's why mm-hmm. I have so much individual counseling. Um, I've noticed that when I used to, back in my, my old life, I was a private ski instructor, and <laughs> you'd have a class of 10 people, and what they would learn in two days over the weekend, and you would have a private, you know, lesson, you know, the private lesson could learn in a half a day what a group of 10 could learn in two days. Um, so we find a lot with our clients, they stay a lot more, um, you know, energized into the program, a lot more involved. They don't count their days down, which a lot of people, that was the other thing I noticed in a lot of treatment centers, people oh. would count their days down. Um, mark and they time don't do like they're in here. prison and it shouldn't be that way. No, because once I found out for myself, I mean, I was a raging, um, you know, I, I've used cocaine to the utmost levels and then moved on to crack cocaine, and I had a $1,500 mm-hmm. a day habit. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I was a wicked, wicked user. But I remember when it really clicked for me in my head that this isn't, you know, I'm doing 30 days in treatment or 90 days in treatment. You know, it can't be like that. This is just like everything else in this world, whether it's your car, your house, anything. Um, it needs constant maintenance. Um, and I couldn't look at it as like, well, I've got 90 days in this treatment center or 30 days and let's start counting down the days. That was all wrong. Um, you you constantly need to do it. It's you can't just go to the gym for thirty days and hope to keep twenty pounds off. So how am I going to go into treatment for thirty days and try to keep you know this silverback gorilla, which is cocaine, off my back for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of lot of logical sense that um, that had to be kind of uh, changed on um, how it was said to me. Um, you know, some people like the word surrender. Um, I like the mm-hmm. word um, acceptance. I accepted what I had become in this world, and I needed to accept what I needed to be. So that's I love that. It sounds to, to me. It sounds to me like language has been very powerful for you, and that's such a good lesson, such a good takeaway for anyone because just learning to reframe the way you look at something instead of a sentence and counting down days to look at it as an opportunity and. And it's endless, that it goes on endlessly to improve yourself and to work on yourself. I love that analogy of, of a car or of a workout. It's, it's a constant work in progress, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot different than looking at it with, a, with an end in sight. I really, really appreciate that. I think language is very important and that you're looking at things in a completely different way that can really help people. Such it's a key all, to treat. around great. adjectives. <laughs> really it's all is. just it flipping, really flipping adjectives around and just, you know, and just kind of going with it and then really giving, you know, a lot of people have so much fear in this going into changing their life in this way, because, you know, when, per, when a person's trying to get sober, you know, mm-hmm. there's only other one other point in a person's life where you're going to go through more physical and mental changes and that's puberty. Um, mm-hmm. And you're in such a short amount of time. Um, so it's very scary. You're going to have to come to grips with some less than, you know, you know, thrilling, you know, things that have happened to you in your life, whether they were self-inflicted or somebody had done it to you. Um, mm-hmm. But you're going to have to get to the root of it. And that's where, you know, Rebos is so great in the sense that we give so much individual counseling sessions per week that people really feel um, secure um, in, in coming to grips with those things. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also great on the other flip side because there's a lot of people that, that come to us that are chronic relapsers, and they're very good at kind of um, lying their way through the program or kind of disappearing mm-hmm. into the program, into the corner. It holds them up a little bit more um, and a lot more accountable. They don't have the wiggle room to kind of, um, you know, to kind of, be, as they say, BS their way through, you know, treatment. Um, we really 
call yeah. them on on their actions and where they're at and where they're not going. You can't blend in here, um, but it doesn't make it feel. Um, it's done very, very, very smoothly. So um, we've had just tremendous success. We've been open for four years. Um, the whole place has grown um, mm-hmm. by completely by word of mouth. Um, just one happy client telling another client, hey, I got treated really fair, and I'm seeing growth for the first time in treatment. I think Danielle treatment is just so behind in this country, in it this is. world. It is. Uh, it's a I every single day somebody's telling me that this is this life threatening disease and I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm kind of calling people out on that because if this is so mm-hmm. life threatening and mm-hmm. and I believe me I believe that it is why are people mm-hmm. still doing you know why is treatment 30 40 years behind every other life threatening disease that we have in this world um, mm-hmm. it doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense um, to me and so I've just taken it as my personal mission to I'm sick of I'm sick of people dying uh, my friends dying yes, I'm sick yes. of hearing yes. all this going on you know, I don't know how to make relapse stop, but my mm-hmm. whole goal was here is how do we make it so that people want to stay in treatment, not count down their days? Right. How can they right. get excited about their new life? So that's how we do it. I like it. that. Because it's the, it's the only person who can change direction and really navigate what they're going through is the individual, and they just need the tools. They just need the help. And I think that whole different perspective is unique. I haven't heard it explained in this way before, and I work with a lot of treatment centers internationally, and it's it's really unique. It's very unique, and I think the perspective and that just that little switch, that little swerve from a line of a train of thought that's just a hard line of thinking of this many days and this kind of treatment and it's life threatening. I think you're really opening up people's minds to a different way of looking at this, and that it's a different foundation to create yourself. That's that's really more of an opportunity than a chore. And I think I wish, the fear that I, I you're talking about is very real. People are fearful when they check in anywhere and fearful to take on any kind of a program and fearful to start over. And really, it's such a beautiful opportunity to have to be able to create a different you and a different self and be in charge of it. And to have that much of a treatment team and experts supporting you like you have at Rebos, it just sounds invaluable. So I'm just glad you're so passionate about it. Just glad you are, if somebody needs to be. I'd love to know what you find acceptable in treatment and not acceptable in treatment. Like when family members are taking someone to come and look, I know there are some wonderful things there. I've taken people to Rebos that have succeeded beyond, and their families, they and their families have been in so much pain before I said, why don't you call my friend Ross Ramin? He's fantastic. And all of a sudden, I start hearing these wonderful stories and getting these amazing emails and calls. And it's made such a difference. So I thank you for that because they're people I was I invested that. in thank and you. still care for. Thank you for that. And it's, it's brought me to tears, literally, to visit them and have them tell me this is different than anything else I've ever done. I think something finally clicked in my brain and I look at them and think, finally, you and your family members all have been suffering so much. And this has been the real change. And I'm not sure what it is that you do. So I'd love to know what people need to be looking for and not looking for, because I don't know what it is that you do. I always just say he's magic. He hung the moon. I don't know what it is he does, but something, <laughs> something's working. I'd love to know a little bit more about it because it's kind of mystical to me that I send them to you and they're doing so much better. I'd love to know. And what should people be looking for and avoiding when they look at treatment centers and when they look at, if you can explain what an IOP is and what they should and shouldn't look for, that'd help a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Revos is an um, is an IOP program, and IOP stands for Intensive Outpatient Program. Um, and this is as opposed to what inpatient is. Inpatients, where you actually go away, you're monitored 24 hours a day. Um, you know, it's more of a it's more of a lockdown facility. It's not lockdown in the sense where you can't leave every unless you're court mandated. But you know, inpatient is where you're just you know you're you're sleeping at their facility, you're eating at their facility. What I run is an outpatient program, and it is anywhere from three to six hours a day, depending on the client and what's going on. Um, people can either sleep in sober living houses or at their own homes. We have. Young adults here that sleep in sober living houses, 
even to older adults that are sleeping in sober living homes. We have moms that, you know, will drop their kids off at school. They'll come in here, um, you know, after they drop their kids off. Um, mm-hmm. I've got... Um, I've got fathers and um, and mothers that work all day, um, and then they come in at night to work on themselves. Um, so that's kind of how it's broken down. What we do and what's really important for your listeners to really know about, and I, I know you know, there's a lot of different options, and when you go online and you check all these places out, it's, it's extremely confusing. Um, mm-hmm. It really, really is. The biggest thing that people really need to look out for is what is their, first and foremost, what is their thought on uh, medications? Medications are, are the root of all evil going on right now in this country and across the world. Um, a You're, lot right. Of, You're right. A lot of facilities, they are replacing a narcotic drug with another um, prescription drug, which is as equally as bad, thinking that this will be better. Um, it's very important that people know that that's not always the case. Um, and there are a lot of doctors, if not the majority of the doctors in this world, that have been trained um, improperly. Um, and that's not their fault. That's just you know, we're, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes in our past with creating mm-hmm. drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, and how we train doctors to prescribe them. Um, there's no difference then from this Oxycontin drugs than just regular heroin. It's the same thing. Um, yes. People think that they can be on these drugs for the rest of their lives. No, they are a, literally a bandage for a, a, you know, you've just had surgery done on your knee um, and you have screws in your hip or something very, you know, it's, it's meant to be as a short-term pain reliever. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, that's all that it is. Most of these drugs that people are getting hooked on are short-term Band-Aids. They're first aid. That is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people are being misdiagnosed. So there's the pain meds. Then a lot of people are being di- misdiagnosed for um, for being clinically depressed or ADD mm-hmm. or bipolar. Um, so the one thing is to, is for your listeners to really know is when they're looking around at these places um, is to is to ask them, what are your thoughts on drugs, um, on, mm-hmm. on prescription drugs, and how do you do that? Now, you, clients, people, patients, clients, whatever you want to call them, when they're going mm-hmm. through a detox process, sometimes they're going to have to need narco- certain narcotics to get them off narcotics. Um, right. right. And sometimes they don't. That's, that's very important. Um, but that's the biggest thing for people to know because I see a lot of treatment centers that they're just they're switching one addiction for the other. Sobriety okay. is about, and this is what my, my thought on sobriety is, sobriety is not only just being physically clean and sober of alcohol and drugs, but it's also an emotional state. It's called emotional sobriety. And the thing that we mm-hmm. teach here at Rebos, and there's a lot of other places that are really credible that do this as well, is teaching somebody that they can have their own feelings, happy, sad, so-so, whatever you want to call, on their own. And it's okay. You know, you can, you can cry and it's okay. You don't, it's, it's about having an organic feeling and emotion. That's what makes us humans. But no, you're gotten... to have, you don't have to medicate every emotion. I, I appreciate that too. Absolutely. You know, and that's really important. So a lot of treatment facilities, they're just, they're, they're just medicating emotions. And it's really important that we as humans, you know, we were given emotions for a reason. It's an, my, mm-hmm. my mother just died in October. And, um, sorry. and it was, yeah, I appreciate that. And it was, it was a kind of an amazing event. Um, on, you know, my mother's dying was one thing, but how I went through it, I, as I look back on it was amazing because I, I just, I just went through the emotions. I was so sad, just so, so sad, mm-hmm. but it was like, mm-hmm. but it was, it, but that was like a natural emotion. And then I had highs during that time where I was just laughing hysterically at the quirky things that my mother did. And I'm sure everybody can relate to quirky <laughs> things that our mothers do. Um, yes. and just the silliness that, you know, she would just the silliness that was your mother. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the happy times that I'm with my wife, 
Um, I remember when I got married, people were asking me if I was going to have champagne at my wedding, and I said, I'm marrying a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl from Malibu, California. I, I don't think champagne's <laughs> going to make this night a little any more special. Um, you know, it's, it's really looking at what, what life is and experience these emotions. Um, so that's what I try to teach people, and I want your listeners to understand that is what really sobriety is. It's just not quitting drinking and doing drugs. That's the easy part. That is really, really the easy part. What we do here at Rebos and what other good credible rehabs do is, is they teach people to deal with their feelings and emotions because relapse does not happen when you trip and fall into a pile of cocaine. <laughs> relapse <laughs> happens with an emotion. That's what happens. And then emotion gets out of control. And then the only way to bring that emotion into check is either, you know, either you have to have the patience to do a lot of deep breathing and have a lot of just rational thoughts, or you're going to have to get a drink or a drug. Um, so when your emotions are in check and you know who you are and you're living the life that you were meant to live, not that your father wants you to live or your mother or your spouse, uh-huh. the life that uh-huh. you were meant to live, relapse becomes a non-issue, um, a total non-issue. And I, and I speak of this of just, you know, of the eight years of experience of watching clients, me being misdiagnosed in treatment, I was uh-huh. diagnosed uh-huh. Um, clinically depressed within uh-huh. 24 hours of being admitted into a inpatient rehab. And as I, you know, back then, this is 15 years ago, I didn't know any difference, but as I look back on it, Within the first 24 hours of going to a place, it was so inappropriate for me to be diagnosed clinically depressed because I just had an intervention done. I am just Uh coming down off of a three-day cocaine bender. I had my Uh drugs taken away. I have my whole family writing me letters telling me that I'm a mess and I need to go away. I was sent sent on a one-way plane ticket to northern Minnesota to a treatment center, and I, I... barely had any clothes with me. Um, so all the other clothes that I was wearing said the name of my rehab on it. Um, oh. So it, I was depressed. Um, and was you I had every depressed? reason to be depressed no. going through that. But I think I was not part for the course of the situation. <laughs> um, exactly. I appreciate that, Ross, because I, I like your personal experience being brought to the table. And I'll interject with mine as, a little bit as well. I, I agree with you completely. We're so aligned there because... I recall being diagnosed as depressed when I'd gone through trauma and rape and assault and had bodily injuries being thrown from a car, couldn't walk. And when I give you medication to make me not feel depressed about those things, I remember thinking, aren't I supposed to be depressed during this time? Isn't that normal? Would anyone be dancing on the ceiling when they've gone through this kind of trauma? Shouldn't I be feeling my emotions? And I ended up saying, I'm not taking these anymore. I didn't like the way it made me feel. And I didn't like um, that, that idea of, of, of taking something to make feelings go away. I wanted to feel my feelings because every last one of them was valid and appropriate for, for the situation. And when you've had everything stripped away from you, as I did too, and I know you did, as you just spoke of, it makes sense. And no one should be you know, kind of bringing down the hammer and the judgment that this is your diagnosis, when that may not be what led you to use. And it needs to be getting to the cause of and the root of those problems. And mine was the trauma. And so let's deal with the trauma. Let's heal the trauma. And let's rebuild. Let's not pop a pill. And it just wasn't the proper thing for me. And I just love that you say that out loud, because not everyone does. People have a fear of... of um, of offending the medical community and the people who feel some medications are needed. And there are chemical imbalances and things that, you know, we're not addressing with this right now, but I completely get it. I just, I know you, and I know you know that. And, but there are situations where it says, let's throw some bottles of pills with the problem. And I always have told people in my practice, I tell people there is nothing that a glass of wine or a glass of champagne or a shot of something or a sniffing or snorting something or huffing, whatever your choice, drug of choice is, nothing that that can't make worse. So whatever the situation is, to deaden yourself from feeling it is the worst thing you could do because it's, not, it's only going to lead to guilt the next day and then it's going to lead to just a cyclical misuse of whatever's been handed to you. And then anything seems like a good idea after that. So it's just 
depressant on top of depressant. It doesn't help. And I, and another thing people don't know, which I think is really important that I end up telling them is with antidepressants, people are drinking grapefruit juice and, and other things. They don't realize that cancels them out. And they also don't know that if they do relapse or they're having drinks because they think they can on an antidepressant, one drink is two, two drinks is four. It actually doubles the effect. And I've had clients not understand that and they didn't understand why they were even in the state of mind they were in. And yeah. it's, it's because everything's double, everything's misfiring in their brain. And it's just something not to be taken lightly. So I think that's huge as a key to what is and isn't acceptable in treatment. Huge questions to ask. And I thank you for that. That's really smart for family members to talk about. Huge. Absolutely. Anything else you think is really a a pro or a con when you're looking? I mean, I look for clients sometimes, as you know, I take a lot of tours and I'm trying to fit, make a fit for clients to go into treatment or to find an IOP, or I'm trying to, um, find someone in an IOP program or, or in, a, in a facility and find some aftercare for them, which is usually myself, but also other people and additional support. So what, what do you find that is just sort of a, a pitfall? Because I find a lot of these beautiful tours online where I'm walking through gardens and it's beautiful and it's a virtual tour and it's explaining, it's almost like spa, a spa of you know, it. And it doesn't really explain so much about what, what's the, what are the differences in their modalities and what is the difference in their treatment center um, are the differences uh, from others. And I'd love you to get into a little bit of that, of what it is you see out there that is really not okay other than the medication aspect and also uh, what is okay and what, what can you guys offer that's different with the sober living and with the IOP. I, I get it that they have a team working with them and I think that's huge. But what else is different? Because I, I'm hearing really different results and I'd love to know kind of why it's good, but why? No, definitely. There's, there's, there's a variety of things that can come into play with that. First and foremost, if you have an opportunity to actually tour one of the facility, you know that you're interested in, do mm-hmm. that. If they won't let you tour it, then it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> good, um, I love that. Good call. Good call. Yeah, that's first and foremost. Um, the next things, the the biggest do's and don'ts is, you know, what you're paying for, um, and to know the price up front. And are you going to bill me later? you know, for if you don't get this. A lot of times treatment centers will, you know, they have hidden costs. Um, we're very upfront about what we do. Um, we're very upfront hmm. about what we do. It is what it is. Um, that's the other biggest thing. Um, and also just finding out what the level of, you know, are your are your clinicians licensed, unlicensed, mm-hmm. interns, mm-hmm. Um, so on and so forth. What's the staff-to-client ratio? Um, how many people do you have in a group um, at a time? Um, you know, general things like that. People's websites are say one thing, and what they do is another thing. That's what I find um, is the majority of the time. Um, you know, so it's it's very important to ask a lot of the questions, such as that. I think that's very important, and I, w- I want to take a short break, but I want to come back and talk a little bit more about that and about some of the stumbling blocks in healing and in treatment and and what to do and what your staff does and what you do to help people with that. I think that's such important information. And, um, and thank you for being so open and honest. And uh, this is The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. We will be right back with Ross Ramin and discuss this some more. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. How do you define work? 
Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. If you'd like to connect with Danielle, feel free to send an email to therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. That's therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, we're back. This is Danielle Delaney, and you're listening to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. And my guest today, the spotlight is on Ross Ramin. Ross, we were talking about some stumbling blocks in, um, in recovery, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal experience. What brought you into treatment in the first place in your life? And since you know about getting to the root cause, what was the root cause of that? And just some things that people might identify with that are listening and things that may help them, and let's just get in a little bit of a personal anecdote. I just find it very interesting. So let's, let's try that. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I think my stumbling blocks are, are pretty much similar to most people's stumbling blocks. Um, I was mm-hmm. at a point in my life, um, you know, I went through high school, you know, and did, you know, what you do in high school, smoke some weed, you know, and drink and so on and so forth. And then college, you know, kind of got ramped up a little bit more. Um, and mm-hmm. then during college, my life was, you know, um, I started, that's where I really started floundering in life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of not, I was turning into somebody else, um, a different stage character almost. Um and then when I left college without graduating, I um, moved back to Chicago and, you know, kind of big city and just got into, you know, kind of the wrong crowd, of, you know, mm. not really a wrong crowd. A lot of the people I knew, but everybody else had jobs during the day and I just kept going um, from the night before. Mm. Um, I think my biggest, you know, stumbling blocks is I went through treatment I went through treatment seven times, like I said earlier, but Mm -hmm. I like to say I completed treatment once, um, and that was the last time I went. (laughs) Every other time I went, I knew, I've known, in most clients that we have here and patients that I've been um, with is, you know, um, when I was uh, on the patient end or, you know, working in the industry is everybody knows that drinking and drugs are bad. People know you cannot do recreational heroin. People know no. you can't do, you know, recreational cocaine. You know, ever since, you know, when you're in grade school and, the, you know, the, the police officer dressed up in the dog suit comes to your school and tells you drugs are bad. <laughs> and, you know, everybody knows that. It, you know, mm-hmm. and it's... And if people are telling you, oh, we can, I can do this, you know, heroin for the rest of my life, you know, they're just they're throwing up a front for right now. They, I, I haven't met anybody that honestly believes that. Um, no. So, what I was finding was is every treatment that I went into, I knew I had a drug problem. I knew it. Um, I really, really knew it. Um, now, knowing it is one thing, um, and but accepting that is another thing. Um, and I think accepting it is even more than surrendering. I think it's a whole other level to me, and that's just how I break down uh, wording in my head, um, but to each their own. Um, and so I remember when I went through my first treatment, I... You know, it's like I knew I had a problem, uh, but it, there was what I was willing to do at what what I was willing to do once I left treatment was mm-hmm. about 
about I'd say about eighty five percent of what they were recommending, um, and I could get away with that for a while. Um, now, were you going in it, a, a, on, of your own accord, or, or were family members noticing, or things court ordered? What was your circumstance that you even started checking in? Because I know sometimes I have people that are there because they really want to get better, and then they're in aftercare oh, yeah. with me because they want to stay well and they want to do that aftercare. They want sober companions. They want aftercare counseling, whether it's Skype, on the phone, anything. They really want that, and it's encouraged when they leave. But some people just throw that aside because they've actually planned their relapse. And I'm wondering which kind you were. Did you have family looking at you and saying, you've got to go in, you've got to do something, or were you getting to your wit's end? Which was it? Because people, they operate differently depending on their reasoning for, for actually starting a program. And what was your, the first what was one your was- reason? The first one was um, was my family telling me I needed to go. Um, okay, okay. Well, pretty much me, uh, you know, checking myself in. The last one, um, my brother actually picked me up. I didn't have the strength to go in on my own. Uh, I was so physically and emotionally shot that, I mean, I mean, he picked me up. I didn't know he was coming, but I got into his car joyfully um just like think you knew you needed ending um so that that was that was the biggest thing but i think when i went through all the treatments except for the last one i was either doing 80 to 90 to 99 percent of what they told me to do um and that's kind of like doing 80 to 90 to 99 percent of what your cancer treatment should be um Mm. it doesn't work that way um, you're going to be, you're going to have a lot of thoughts in your head when you're going through treatment or anytime you're, t- I always put this towards kind of like going to the gym, um, because you're going to know that you need to lose 20, 30, 50, whatever amount of pounds you need to lose, but you're mm-hmm. still going to have something in your head that tells you everything's not okay. Like hundred reasons why you shouldn't go to the gym that morning. Um, and we'll do it in the afternoon and then the afternoon comes and you'll still talk yourself out of it. It's kind of the same way. Um, oh, I can just have a little bit of a cookie. Um, even though you're so medically, you know, like you need to lose weight, otherwise you're going to die. Like, but I'll just have a little cookie. I've eaten a good lunch. No, it's, you have to be strict with it to see results. Good that you analogy. Want. Good analogy. You have justification. to. Justification. So exactly. I would, I would be valedictorian of whatever treatment I went to, but when I left, <laughs> it was like I'm moving back into a house with drug addict roommates. Um, I'm moving back into a city or a place or a job with, you know, the same stressors, the same relationship, the same pitfalls, mm-hmm. the same things mm-hmm. that used to bring up those emotions, which emotions would turn into a relapse. Um, it wasn't until the last one where I literally, I went through there and I just, I didn't say no to anything. Um, I just said, you know what? I mm-hmm. have, it's like, it's like arguing with somebody when they tell you, you have ketchup on your face. Okay. Or barbecue sauce. Yeah. If you just had like a rack of ribs, um, you know, it's like, what are you going to, you're not going to believe that you have barbecue sauce on your cheek. Like, let me wipe that off you. Um, and when I went through treatment my last time, I just remember saying that I'm like, <laughs> Guys, I can't see straight right now. My head is telling me everything is okay when I know in reality it's not. That's um, not, right? I need help. So, you know what? For the next year of my life, I will not listen to a single word that goes into my head. I ran by who, what relationships I was in, whether it was, you know, my guy friends or girlfriends, my, mm-hmm. how I dealt with my family, where I was living, um, you know, my aftercare counselors. I just, I just, I fully accepted that my head will lie to me, um, and I need to spend some time over a course of a year to reverse almost 18 years worth of just craziness. Um, I love that you phrase it that way, Ross. I love that you phrase it that way because it is honestly one of the largest points I make to my aftercare clients is you have to be ruthless in protecting yourself. You have to be ruthless in really eliminating things in your life that took you. Exactly. And I would say felt when people say, well, people are saying I'm selfish. I don't call them. I, don't, I feel like I have to explain myself. If you're explaining yourself to anybody, honey, you're talking to the wrong people. You shouldn't have to explain yourself. They should want what is best for you. And if they are not what is best for you, 
there is nothing wrong with being selfish, which is self-ish. It's just being about yourself-ish. It's good. Be about yourself because nobody else is. Nobody else is fighting this battle and it is life and death. And if you're going to let other people sway you and you're going to swerve because of something somebody says or you feel like you owe people an explanation, that's going to be a problem. And I tell them, be selfish and be ruthless and eliminate the problem. Use every tool we're giving you to eliminate the problem. But it's, it's going to creep in. It's going to come. It's going to come. It's not like it's not out there. The real world is there. And you can step right back into it and have the same problems that you couldn't navigate before. And what's going to be different this time is only going to be the difference that this time you're going to be absolutely unequivocally doing the 100% necessary treatments, like you said, comparing it to a cancer treatment. You can't just do a little bit of it. You have to use everything, everything you've got, and give it your best shot. And, uh, yeah, I say ruthlessly eliminating anything that is going to – that you can predict. There's so many things we can't predict that are going to happen anyway. But people, there are people that you know how you feel around them, and you know that they're a stressor, that they create problems for you, and it's, they've got to go. And people feel so much guilt about that, and there really shouldn't be about being about yourself. There really should not be, and I love that you stretch that. I the love other that. Frustrating so important. Important. The, the other really frustrating part is the family members. And mm. because, you know, in, I find it, it's the family is, and I, I, I don't think there's a single person in this industry that would disagree with me on this one, but family members are almost as sick in, as the actual patients are. Um, yes. But that's really hard for them to accept because they have gotten into, and they're not sick in the way that the, you know, that their loved one is. They're sick in mm-hmm. a different way. And, you know, maybe we should figure out a new adjective besides sick because that just sounds kind of weird. But they have affected. become so... It's like they've picked up. They're affected. They're in it. They're seeking. Yeah, they've become so adapted to being manipulated, to being pushed around. Um, Their boundaries have been all skewed. Um, And one thing that drives me nuts in our industry, and I know a lot of other treatment center (laughs) owners, we all kind of, we powwow about this. And um, (laughs) and it's so difficult to do our jobs because... Whether it's a, whether it's the actual person that you know the client or patient that is coming to us that has seeked us out, found us, and asked for our help, or it's a family member, they all have this thing where they want to tell us how to do our job, and they oh, want yes. to tell us, oh, this our my son doesn't need to be with you more than one month. Thirty days will be good, and you're having five other people that are in the treatment facility, they're all experts, say, no, he needs 90 days. Um, right. Or you need to do this or you need to do that. And I always bring this up with our clients. It's like, you hired me to help you. Right. And now you're Perfect. dictating what to do. It's like, you don't go to a mechanic and tell them, you know, how to fix your car. You went to the mechanic and paid them, you know, X amount of dollars to fix your muffler. You know, it's right. like, you, you know, don't give me head. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's so it's very difficult because I see a lot of people that get discharged from us and it's not we are discharging them. It's almost like the family members or the client is discharging themselves. People are such in a hurry because they feel so guilty about being in treatment longer than they need to be um, or that they or the family member is so scared to do it this way. They're willing to roll the dice with it. You know, this is a deadly disease. I, I, I hear about at least three people a week that are dying from this. And, uh-huh. you know, they're trying to take matters into their own hands. And it's so catastrophic how, how crumbling this is to them. And I, they, people tell me, oh, it's, we don't have the money to do it. I'm like, I get you don't have the money, and I totally 100% respect that. I really do. But <laughs> if this doesn't go well... Two things are going to happen. One, you're going to spend twice the money the second time that you did this time, or your your loved one could be dead. Um, yes. This is not you an can't easy thing to do. Not to. It's, there's no excuse that like you can't afford not to do this. And that's exactly it's way it. too slippery of a exactly slope. It. And a lot of family members, they they have a perf- perfect picture of their loved one, husband, wife, son, daughter, whatever it is. They don't realize how deep it is. So, and a lot of times this, 
you know, the client will come to us and they're telling us stuff that, you know, their mom or dad or anybody else doesn't know. And we tell them what's really going on or, or we, you know, sometimes we can't tell them what's really going on because of confidentiality. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, we try to give them, like, listen, there's other things going on. They need to stay. They need to do X, Y, Z to make to have success. They'll be like, no, they got it. They do this. So that's the other big thing is really mm-hmm. if you're sending somebody in there, you, the family member, the loved one, has to be committed to listening to the experts. You would listen to any other doctor on any other medical thing um, that you don't know about and that you're not well educated on. Don't do it like this. Um, it's very, very, very important um, because, you know, if you can get the family members on board, there's a study back from like the mid-90s, and I haven't seen a more recent one, but if you can get a family on board with a family program involved mm-hmm. in their treatment, the success for a for that client, for that patient, um, when you get two family members, can be in the 90 percentile range. Um, mm-hmm. If they're not involved, you're looking into the teens. Um, exactly. I, you're right. It's it's really it's a spooky fact, but a lot of families are very proud and they don't want it. Oh, this is their problem, not mine. Correct, it is their problem. But you know what? You got dragged into it, whether you know it or not. Uh, and we're right. not trying to shame you. We're not trying to embarrass you. We're just trying. We're all on the same page here. We're just trying to get some success going on here. Um, You're right. Everyone's affected. The whole family is affected, and without that support and without that acknowledgement that we're all affected by this and let's work on it together, things are, are catastrophic is exactly the right word. It's just you're endangering the entire process, and you're also endangering any chance of success if you will not defer to the people who are, have, are trained to deal with this. It's the same. It, I absolutely agree with you 100%. There's always some arguing, and it's, it just doesn't behoove anyone to do that. It's listen to me. I'm living proof. I'm living, walking, breathing proof. Please listen to me so that I can show you what to do and show you what works. And instead, they have all these little blocks that they'll throw up because of, you know, what they want to do and what they think is best. And we do know we really have done this for a long time. And I know that you have. And I'm just really happy that you're saying that because people need to hear it. People need to hear it. Just defer to the expertise of this person that you're entrusting your loved one or yourself to. Defer to that. Give it a chance. So important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. absolutely agree. Well, I would love to also know a little bit more. I know there's psychotherapy, but also um, spiritual therapy at Rebos. And um, I just love all of it about uh, how it's sober spelled backwards. Things are really done differently. Can you tell me a little bit about spiritual therapy and a little bit about the code of the buffalo, which is the logo? I would yeah. love to know about the spirituality and the buffalo. If you could kind of fill me in on that and then let us know how to reach you as well. That would be great. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, uh, this whole program was started by spiritual principles. No time in your life, you know, if you're really, if you are, I always say the clients, they come to us, they come to us spiritually bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're trying to make them spiritually profitable. Um, mm-hmm. Rebos is no different. Rebos was started on spiritual principles. I really didn't have a business plan for the first year and a half I was in business. Um, mm-hmm. I knew certain things had to be a certain way, and the money end of it, from a business sense, would work out. Um, and mm-hmm. it's true. It did. Um, so I run my business the way that I run my own sobriety. It's by spiritual principles. Um, when you become spiritually profitable in this world, you can do whatever you want. And being spiritually profitable is kind of, it's, you can also call it spiritually fit. It's kind of like being like, you know, in shape physically. Um, you, you don't get as tired. You don't get as emotional. You, you, you're just more in check. Um, so spiritual counseling, uh, whether you believe in 12-step or non-12-step, is a huge component. So every single client, um, I, I'll basically give you the rundown of what every client gets. A client gets a six-person okay. team when they come to Rebos. They get a psychotherapist uh, who's a licensed psychologist. They get a spiritual counselor. They get a chemical dependency counselor. They get a case manager, a biofeedback specialist, um, and a and a um, addiction specialist psychiatrist um, that can help them with medications if they need them or help them get off of them. 
um, and they see each one of these people at a minimum of once per week for an hour-long session on top of two to four groups per day, depending on the client and where they are in their treatment. Um, And it's extremely important that each one of those components that we touch on is a huge component in each person's life. Um, so it's, it's a big deal that they get all of that um, because all of that is going to have to be touched on um, right. in order for the client to be full, well-rounded. Um, you know, it's, you know, you just, you won't be, you'll be able to achieve your goal faster uh, by having all those components. Rebos gives basically a year's worth of therapy in 30 days. Um, I love that. That's what Yeah, it, it's pretty, that, that it's pretty wild. And condensed. Could yeah. you tell me a little about the Buffalo and also give your website information? Because we only have a minute, minute or so, and I really want people to be able to reach you. Yeah, it's, um, our website is Rebos, R-E-B-O-S, treatment.com. That's our website. Um, and um, you can get the list of all of our staff members and so on and so forth uh, right from there. Um, our phone number here in Los Angeles is 310-694-5590. In um, the Buffalo is, uh, the Buffalo is a, is a big deal to me. Back in the, um, you know, the American Indians, the Native Americans, they, um, they believed that the buffalo was the birth of all spirituality. Every part of the buffalo was used for something, and it was the hooves were just as valuable as the hides. And I tell oh. clients that each story that they have, whether it's a tragedy that happened to them when they were four or five years old, is just as equal as their is the biggest bliss their mar- their, their wedding day, um, a birthday, a celebration. You have to treat them all equally. Now, you don't have to go around and tell everybody that, you know, you had something really bad happened to you when you were five years old, like you would talk about your wedding day. <laughs> but you have to hold them as equals because they both have to help define you. Some things have been, you know, you've done yourself and some things have been brought on you. But either way, they are a chapter in your story. And the Buffalo is the same way. And until you accept all, all stories and all actions that have happened to you, good or bad, you will not be spiritually profitable or spiritually fit. So that's why we I have the Buffalo. Um, and that's I what we, people logo. come here for. You can't give somebody Thanks a book so and rip out chapter us. three. Uh, Thank you so much for that because it's all parts are created equal. We need all of those parts to recreate ourselves. I hope anyone listening takes you up on that. Go to www.rebostreatment.com. And thank you for being here today, Ross. And anyone listening who would like to reach me, please contact me at The Real Deal at, oh, I'm sorry, The Real Deal with Danielle at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Join me next Tuesday as well at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ross, thanks again. And everyone, take care. Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to catch The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney live every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait for you to see what's in store next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.